Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everybody out there. I hope you're all doing super well in this quarantine lockdown pandemic universe. Welcome to another episode of Broadway Breakdown, My Obsession. I am your co-host, Matt Koplik, basically your host these days. Uh, John Miscavige will return shortly. But anywho, enough about that gay. I have another gay with me uh, to talk about his obsession. He's a comedian. He's a podcaster. You know him from Instagram. You know him from iTunes from his podcast slumber party and just you know all the numerous i don't i don't want to call them vines because vine doesn't exist anymore but vine like content uh, <laughs> all over the social medias mr tim murray hello tim hey matt thanks for having me thanks for coming on uh i knew of you for a while and then when miss melanie brooke deep friend of the pod melanie brooke came on to do an episode she was like you should have tim murray on to do an obsession I was like oh that would be grand oh my um, gosh she's the best that's that's my girl and you know she, one of my most popular videos is because of miss melanie brooke yeah i well, did this we get a you know each other video and she was so so funny she was very funny you actually had a couple of people in your videos that have been on this pod you did you used so you used to do like i don't want to call them music videos they were musicals they were like three minute musicals where you musicalized fights or moments from Drag Race's Untucked series. And you would bring people on with you. So you had Josh Daniel, you had Cray Henson, who've both been on the pod as well. Very, very funny shit. My faves. Yes. Love, those, love those boys. And I have to shout out... Oh, that sorry, one, was... one second, one second, the phone is ringing. Fuck the outside world. All right, now, all right, now give a shout out. I was going to shout out Henry Kopersky, my dear friend who's uh, had the idea for Untucked Musical. He mm-hmm. called me and was like... There's something about the way that pheromone just oh, talked. To- damn it! All right, keep talking. Keep talking. I'm gonna unplug this motherfucker. Okay. There, he was like, "There's something about uh, the way pheromone was talking to Kimora Black and vice versa in this recent Untucked." And I just wanted to, it. Just struck me as so funny, and I want to figure out what to do with it. And he had the idea to musicalize it. And then once he wrote the song, I came in and sang it, and we had so much fun doing it, and it was so ridiculous and then we were like okay let's not stop doing this so then we started making more of them and we made 
uh, Untucked the Musical with like a bunch of videos from that season with Larry Owens and Bo and Yang and Matt Rogers and all these really fun the people gays. and Gray and Josh, the gays. You know, the gays. all the gays. Um, also, you were, um, I mean, this is so like inside baseball and you might consider me stalkery for knowing this, but you had done a Michael Henry video as well that I'm obsessed with. Which I love Michael Henry. Which one? Um, were you in more than one? Well, he's been in some of mine. I've been in some of his, I think. Yes. But maybe, oh, the one with Johnny Sibley? Maybe it's the one where you don't have any lines until the very, very end. It's the, he talks about how he doesn't want to be a sex object anymore. You're on the stoop. Do you know what I'm talking oh, about? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, and then the one line you have at the end is that he was farting the entire time. I'm assuming that wasn't in the script. That was just true while you were filming. Yeah. Just, that, yeah. I was like, were you passing gas this whole time? We, we're good buddies. Just from making videos together, I reached out to him years ago on like Facebook and was like, hey, I love your videos. And he said the same to me. And then mm-hmm. I moved out to LA and we actually live in the same block now. So we oh, wow. are, yeah, we are quarantine buddies. He is one of the only people I'm seeing other than my roommate. And we go on social distance uh, walks. I saw him last night, actually. He's so, he's so funny and so great. Yes, he is very funny, very great. I enjoy uh, many of his videos. Uh, so you are based in LA now, correct? I am, yeah. I moved to LA two years ago. So, you, But you started off as a New York actor. From what, I, from what I understand. Yes. And That's then you correct. said, fuck this noise. I'm moving west and I'm going to be a comedian. Yeah, I said enough of this. Yeah, it all kind of happened at once. It was pretty crazy. I was in the Fifty Shades musical off-Broadway with Melanie for like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And then when that ended, I found that to be like very devastating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I sort of, I don't know, I just thought, I was like, well, I'm paying for my rent in New York City as an actor this is what life is now. And yeah. then it wasn't after that. So I was like, oh God, I have to keep reinventing myself. So I had the opportunity to move out to LA. And when I came here, I started doing stand-up. And I, yeah, now I do comedy mostly. It's great. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a lot of great content. And then the Slumber Party podcast, how did that come about? So my friend Peter Kim and I were sitting around and we were like, like we're funny why (laughs) why uh don't we have a podcast and so we i had already done a youtube series called slumber party like an interview talk show type thing with michael henry and johnny sibley Mm -hmm. and john juan and a couple great um new york city comedy people and then so we had this idea to interview lgbtq people about their sleepover experiences growing up and how the things they had to hide about that and do like an adult redo. And now it's still going, but now I'm doing it just by myself. No hmm. Peter anymore. Yeah. That's, is, is there drama there? Like, was there a big fallout? Was it he wanted to be Daisy? He wanted to be Violet? Like, exactly. Mad, <laughs> mad drama. Is one better than the other, Daisy or Violet? Does oh, absolutely wanna... not. Um, that's, <laughs> uh, that's also, a, that's a sideshow reference, everybody, for those who don't know. You wanted to be Lucy and I wanted to be Lucy, but neither of us would be the Emma. No, she, um, <laughs> she has that's another Jekyll and Hyde, everybody, by the way. Yeah, Jekyll and Hyde, everybody. Um, uh, Nothing yeah. wrong with Emma, by the way. Kelly O'Hara was once an Emma. Was she really? Yeah, on tour, and then she understudied on the Broadway. Okay, love that information that i didn't know you know that she's also, in the sorry i'm sorry to inter- interrupt you again but uh you know that she's in the video with david hasselhoff right kelly o'hara i have that Who, where is she she's in the, in the ensemble uh i think she has she, she has two solos the only one that's i that's 
uh, coming to me right now is in the murder, murder at the opening of Act Two. She has he'll kill at will, and it's just like not. It doesn't fit properly in her voice, and, <laughs> and you know, and you know she knows because she's like trying to give it this like kind of anger while like belting a note she doesn't really have. That's and amazing. yeah, and it's just so fun. Like it's, it's and it's not in the like oh cynical kind of way. It's just sometimes nice to see people who you love so much you've just seen be perfect so many times. Be so like, not perfect. Yeah, it's like yeah. Even Kelly O'Hara sometimes couldn't negotiate a note, and like it's fine. It's totally fine. <laughs> yeah, because she is. I mean, truly, every time I see her, I'm like, I thought I already thought you were perfect, and now somehow you've gotten better. It's uh. really. She's really damn good. Yeah, sometimes it's annoying. Anyway, Peter, no drama. He wanted to cut you uh, loose now. Yeah, he just, he has another podcast that he does on top of Slumber Party. And honestly, in this mm. crazy quarantine time, he's like, I don't know if you feel like this, but I feel like a lot of stuff is becoming Zoom calls. Mm-hmm. And he was like, this was really fun when we got to physically get together, but I don't want to do two Zoom calls with two different podcasts every single week. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I understand that. But I'm still doing it. Yeah, go you go, girl. I mean, th- I mean, we're doing Zoom right now, so I totally get it. And I mean, I don't know. I'm if down. Re- I'm down for the Zoom calls. He just wasn't down for the Zoom yeah. calls. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm fine with it. Uh, I'm actually uh, gonna start a. Se- I mean, I'm not personally starting it. I am participating in a second podcast pretty soon. So there's a chance that I might be like Peter and just be like, no, I I can't. I I. I need human interaction. I need to spend my time more wisely. <laughs> but until that moment comes, I'm going to spread myself thinner than those girls on the bikes in the search for Elwoods. I love this transition you just gave us. <laughs> so this, there's no time like the present. Let's just move right along into Mr. Tim Murray's obsession. What is your obsession today, Tim? The MTV reality show from 2008, I believe, called Legally Blonde, The Search for Elle Woods, hosted by none other than Haley Duff herself. Broadway superstar Haley Duff. Broadway superstar who had been in over zero shows. (laughs) (laughs) She was in Hairspray, and then she starts talking to these girls like, she's like, well these people got me ready for Broadway. And since I am a Broadway veteran, let me tell you how it works. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, l- literal future Tony winner, Lena Hall is on stage already having four Broadway shows under her belt. Just kind of like, okay, Haley Duff. Yeah. That's- <laughs> tell me what it's like to do eight shows a week for your whole career. Yeah. So it's going to be really hard not to like go off on tangents. A, because this podcast goes on tangents all the time, but because like, so... <sighs> There's just so much to talk about. So I feel like one thing is going to lead into another thing. So we just have, you just have to remind me sometimes, like, Matt, we were talking about this five minutes ago. We need to come back to this subject. Um, so I'm assuming you got into the series when the rest of us did in 2008 when it aired. Had you seen Legally Blonde on Broadway by that point? Okay. So here is, am I going to tell this story? I'm yes, you are. This story. I saw Legally Blonde when I was 19. I think it was like a freshman or sophomore in college. I came to the city. I got student rush ticket. I was in the front row. And, okay, everyone can be mad at me for this all you want, but I was dumb at 19 and I didn't know any better. And this is aging me. This is Mm pre-YouTube. This is pre, like, Legally Blonde came out right when YouTube was, like, launching. So, or, or it had been out maybe a little bit, but, like, YouTube was not like a place to put bootlegs or like 
create no. content. It was it was it was very like very new. Uh, you know, he kicked him in the penis. It, it hurt yeah, him. Yeah, it was very Charlie like, bit my finger. It was very that. It was not like I remember going to New York City, being so excited to see like Brooklyn the musical and Little Women because the only places you could see even small clips of those videos were was on Broadway.com. Like mm-hmm. there was no, there was not, imagine not being able to watch any of Astonishing. Any <laughs> How of sad that. is that for your life? <laughs> and I would look and I would look and none of that stuff was on there. And I love this so much. I just wanted to capture, I wasn't going to post it anywhere. I just wanted to capture part of it to take with me to watch on the plane again and watch when I was back in Ohio or in college. Right. Mm-hmm. So I took my digital camera out during like three different numbers and I tried to videotape three different numbers. Yeah. I was, I was fully uh, breaking the rules. Yeah. And as I was doing that, Leslie Kritzer saw me from the stage and she lifted her sunglasses up, uh, from her like whatever that scene is where they're like dancing the three muses are dancing together the three greek chorus mm-hmm. and she marched to the uh like a little bit out of her formation and looked me right in the eyes and she mouthed to me turn the fucking camera off and so i did <laughs> <laughs> and i mouthed back i'm so sorry and then i like kept the camera away obviously the rest of the time and then i when after the curtain came down, I like ran out of there because I was so worried they were going to steal my camera from me. Um, but yeah, that, I was 19. I learned my lesson. I never did it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair to you, it's not like you were the first person to film that show. As we know, there are videos abound of that show. You were just young and dumb and didn't know how to hide it. That's all. Exactly. Yeah. And they, I'm sure they were all like, girl, MTV is coming in here next week to film this whole thing. You can just watch it on your television. That you is also very be, true. You don't um, need to be bootlegging. So you watched it on MTV as well then? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I watched, so I saw it then, and then I watched the when they aired the live version on MTV with my mm. friends in college. And then I watched the Search for Elle Woods uh, reality show, obviously, because I was obsessed. Yes. Did you get to see the show once uh, the winner was announced or did, or were you not able to? I only saw it that one time. Okay. And so after the show finished and things happened with Legally Blonde, you know, what have you, did you come back to it frequently or was it sort of like a long period and then all of a sudden you kind of rediscovered it? I had watched it in real time. And then in, when was Nerds going to come to Broadway? 2003. 14, 13? That sounds about right. Yeah, 14, 15. Somewhere around there, uh, I was living with my roommate, Pierce Cassidy, who has um, been in Book of Mormon. He was like on the tour as uh, the tap dancing one, and he's been on the Something Rotten tour, mm-hmm. and um, but on tour, never Broadway. And he was, at, at the time, and he was going to make his Broadway debut in Nerds. Mm. And we were living together, and he, you know, came home one day and was like they uh you know told us in rehearsal as we were preparing to make my Broadway debut that we're not doing the show anymore it's not happening and he or he might have moved in like right after he found out about that but it was right around that time he was just so I loved him so I'd still love him so much he's like such a fun wonderful guy and he worked so hard and he was so bummed and I was like 
I just want you to feel good right now. And I want, I want you to restore your faith in theater. <laughs> so we sat down and when it was only the first episode was on YouTube back then, like 2014, 15, and we rewatched it together then. And I just remember both of us like scream laughing and being like, I can't believe this is real. Mm-hmm. And then uh, during quarantine, I saw my buddy Drew Anderson tweet that the whole thing is uh, on YouTube right now. And I was like, that's what I should rewatch right now. And I, uh, as I started rewatching, I started videotaping myself watching it mm-hmm. from my Instagram stories. And I've never gotten the kind of response I got from that. <laughs> Every day I would wake up to like, like 30 to 50 DMs, which is obviously very unusual of people being like, oh my God, I forgot about this show or like what even is happening or, mm-hmm. you know, justice for autumn or whatever justice people are saying. For autumn. I feel um, that. Yeah. So then I became even more obsessed as I was rewatching and reposting. And then I was like, okay, I need to, uh, if there's anything that would bring me pure joy in this world, it would be to reunite these girls and do a Zoom reunion with them. Yes. So Tim uh, did a Zoom reunion with the entire, I think it was top, uh, first uh, top 15 that went down to the top 10, like after like 30 minutes into the Zoom. Yeah. Correct. Uh, with top 15 contestants for, Legally Blonde, The Search for Elle Woods. Plus, you also had the show's uh, three judges, book writer Heather Hawk. Is that how you say her name? Heather uh, ha- I think so. Heather, let's say Heather Hawk. Uh, casting nobody, Bernie Telsey. And, <laughs> and then uh, cast member Paul Kanan. And then the producer, Amanda Lippitz. Yeah. Yes. And then you had a, a co-host on the Zoom, correct? Jen... Jen Sandler, yeah, who works at 54 Below. Yeah. Got it, got it, got it. Um, Because they had done a reunion concert as well. Yeah. Yeah. So the way it went down is I tweeted, I really want to get these girls reunited. I messaged them all on Instagram. They -hmm. weren't responding for the first several hours. And then um, Jen messaged me and she was like, hey, we just did a reunion concert with some of them like two years ago. I have all their emails. If you let me co-host with you, I will email all of them. And... I don't think this is any big secret, but they were all a little bit, um, a little bit trepidatious about ever revisiting this whole topic. Cause it was mm-hmm. kind of traumatizing for a lot of them, I think. Oh, absolutely. And so Jen was like, I think they'll feel safer to do this if, if I do it with you. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay. So I watched, I watched it last night. Uh, I will, I don't want to say all of it. I watched most of it, but that's because I was, doing research yesterday i watched so i watched the entire series last night uh yesterday like as a uh rebuff of our episode today i was like i'll watch some of the zoom like i want to get an idea of sort of what tim did thinking i would watch like 10 to 15 minutes of this two and a half hour zoom reunion i got an hour and a half into it and then had to stop because i was like i need tim to give me some surprises from this thing like i can't just sit there and be like oh yeah i remember when autumn said that or when bailey said that uh I want you to be able to bring something to the table. But I thought it was actually very well structured that way because by having the creatives there for the first like 45 minutes and the other five girls, it sort of had a nice communal feeling and let everybody sort of ease into it. It was sweet. Everyone was remembering. Everyone was complimenting. And so when they left, the 10 remaining girls were a lot more relaxed and then able to just sort of uh, relate to each other, which I thought was really fantastic. Yeah, because I think that's the cool, th- I think that's why we all love the show. I mean, it was very cool to see, here with the cre- Amanda Lippitz who created it, how, you know, how, how she decided to do this. And um, it was such a smart, like, marketing thing. And it, it, obviously, it's cool to hear from Bernie Telsey and just hear, like, 
you know, where his head was at going from being the top casting director in the city to now being like, I mean, for a little while, a reality TV personality, like that, that was all very fascinating, but then it was really nice to just make it more about like why, why I was interested in this from the beginning, which is like, there's never ever been a show like this. Like anytime there, even Grease, you're the one that I want, which is a similar type of thing. They weren't, we weren't watching them live in the house together. Like they were trying to get drama from not from reality TV personalities, but from talented, hardworking musical theater people who were desperate because they haven't been given the opportunities they deserve, which is what most musical theater people feel like, right? It's like there are less, like less than 10% of the people who audition for, uh, theater even like really get to work professionally as an actor so like that's that's what i wanted to dive into and i feel like we really did when we came down to just the 10 of us it got oh yeah it got really it got very real uh so yeah. a quick background for anyone who is you know aware of what we're talking about but doesn't know the details when legally blonde opened on broadway in 2007 it you know it was doing fine it did not do as well as i think they were hoping and they were laura bell bundy was going to be closing out her contract after a little over a year into the run and they wanted to cast a star to replace her but every celebrity who came to see the show apparently was like um no because the role of Elle Woods is a beast yeah it it wasn't you know a lack of honoring the show or anything like that it was because they all these celebrities would see the show like Haley Duff could not do Elle Woods Haley Duff came in to do Amber in Hairspray and barely survived that but uh, you know, you can't ask a celebrity who's never done eight shows a week to come in and do probably like one of the most rigorous physical and vocal parts on Broadway since like Sweet Charity, where they're just on stage the entire time giving 10, yeah. out, of 10 out of 10. And so they're like, okay, we really can't maintain ticket sales with a really talented but unknown Broadway actress. And so Amanda Lippitz, the producer, had a really great idea, which was to let's do a reality show where we find the actress so America can fall in love with the person that we're going to cast and want to see her. Yeah. Uh, so we get someone who's talented, someone who's like trained for it and people can see that she's worked hard for it and she becomes a name because of the show. And so the whole series was sort of that. And it was wa- re-watching it. And so the yeah, the three judges were the book writer, Heather Hawk, casting... Uh, uh, director Bernie Telsey and then uh, castmate Paul Cannon and then they would have people from the show come in and out to like as like bonuses I guess like girls would do mini challenges and get a like you get a spa day with Orfe. That stuff was truly crazy. That's the other thing that's so funny is it's like this is not a real prize you guys. (laughs) No well so what was interesting was and again we're going all over the place so I apologize but like you could see the girls who kind of understood more about the process of being in a show and what it took to uh, get into a show. Cause they would use their, some girls would use their like one-on-ones with cast members in a very professional way of like, you know, what are some uh, tricks you have for like the scene or for the character? Like what's something that trips you up in the show or things to w- look out for. And then other girls would be like, what's New York like? And it's like, that's not what you want to be asking Richard H. Blake right now. You want to ask him like, what what's the key to this scene in serious we're about to do this a million times yeah and so that was very interesting and they would like watching it i went oh this shows you it's because it's a precursor to drag race to rupaul's drag race 
and it really shows you how talented the producers of Drag Race are because because the challenges are just as over the top in Drag Race, but they know it is. And they use that not to sort of like manipulate the contestants, but to just sort of get them exhausted enough to let their guard down. They're not like trying to force drama. They're like, oh, we're giving you this challenge. Now you're exhausted. Go back into the workroom and do what you do. And then like the Queens on Drag Race would create the drama. Whereas in Whereas on Legally Blonde, it was like, we'll get we'll get to questionnaire gate in a second. Uh, I mean, that is one of the worst. It's it's inexcusable. It like, is really what, inexcusable. What they did there, it was well, not cool. It no, was, and we'll, it and was, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, but yeah, it's as you said, it's these girl. First of all, many of them are really girls, like 18, 19, 20. and all they want is to do theater, and they're talented and they're hardworking, and they. Are some so many of them have never been to New York. They don't understand like how cynical show business can be and how they're probably getting played by producers in front of the camera. So they're like editing to make them look bad. And it's like watching it, it was like, this is really heartbreaking because these, Even all the these ones, girls are doing are just trying to do their part. Yeah. It's really like, but, th- but that's also what makes it fun to watch. I think is like, these girls are heroes and you are rooting for all 10 of them the whole time because oh, you absolutely. see, you see how like, pretty pretty messed up this is like because mm-hmm. even like lena hall who like i said had i think already done at least three broadway shows at this point yeah when she was on the show she they edited her she said on the reunion there's a moment where she's like they're she's crying to camera in a talking head and she's like they're treating us like children it's so unfair i don't want to be talked to like i'm two years old and they edit it to make it seem like she's talking about bernie telsey and heather and paul the judges mm-hmm. And she's not. She's talking about the MTV producers who are not feeding them and not these reality shows. And they just cut it to look like she's saying, I mean, in at that point, it's like, oh, you're, the way you're portrayed is so completely out of your hands. And like the whole Cassie S of it all is like so crazy. I don't know if you got to this part in the reunion, but I just feel horrible for her because I mean, the edit that she got is really messed up and again she was what 19 years old and she said that girls would follow her around in the mall a girl dumped soda on her head they would um yeah they would corner she got cornered in an h&m by three girls and they were like why are you mean to bailey (laughs) like it's crazy it's really yeah she was like harassed and and you know, Lauren talked a little bit about this on the on the reunion too, about like, Lauren said something that hit me really deep. And she was like, you know, comments that you guys made back then on the Facebook page, because again, this was like pre-YouTube really, mm-hmm. but like the Facebook page for Elle Woods, like some of the stuff that you said to me when I was an 18 year old on the internet is still stuff that rings in my head that I can't get rid of. And I never will be able to. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, like I can love myself and I can work on myself, but you know, those those things you said are in me now yeah and i've internalized them and there's uh you know it's like a it's such a it was such a fucked up time too of like seeing how the internet is going to impact people and again not reality stars not real housewives going on here like knowing the game that they're playing Mm -hmm. but like people who are trying to make a career out of theater which is I don't know. It's all, it's all really crazy. No, it's so crazy. Um, and so this is another thing kind of pops in my head. 
the idea of how fake reality TV is. So first, like, I I was wondering why it was like hitting me so hard watching it because I said, you know, that reality TV is fake, and you know, it's not. I wasn't ever feeling anything but sympathy for the girls, and as you said, like rooting for them, and that was really kind of with with uh, with kinder and more mature eyes, you can watch it and just, you know, see the craziness of it all and root for these girls to make it to the end. But I was like, why am I feeling this way? And yet like Bachelor just makes me infuriated and like, and uh, Survivor, you know, just makes me go whatever. And it's because I guess, as you said, with Real Housewives, those people know what they're signing up for. And, you know, Survivor and Bachelor, you're not aiming to get a career out of whatever it is you're doing like you are manipulating a certain human experience for cameras and it's on you know that it's all about the drama you know legally blonde it was a very real very tangible goal that they all had and you know knowing that when they left even if they didn't book l they were still going to try to do have careers afterwards so they couldn't you know, they didn't want to have a persona that no one wanted to work with. They didn't want to talk down to anybody else. They're like, we're all in this together. And so it's just really, it's really messed up watching how they edit those girls. And again, I cannot emphasize this enough. Girls, like 18, 19-year-old girls. Yeah. And like, and it's interesting because it's maybe one of the only reality TV shows ever that these girls didn't, it's so apparent that the top 10 all of them the top 15 no one is there to be a reality tv star not a single one of them there's not even a single moment in the show where you're like oh maybe like even on american idol where like Mm -hmm. the goal is to be a a worldwide singer you encounter a lot of people who are like oh you're here to get your 15 minutes of fame of like making a buzzworthy comment Mm -hmm. none of these girls even have an interest in being reality tv stars the reality tv of it all is a byproduct of them thinking this is their only way to get their real goal, which is to be a Broadway star, mm-hmm. which is to get on Broadway. So it's almost like, yeah, it's almost like you were like, unfortunately have this add on, but it's very, it's very fascinating to watch. It makes for um, really compelling television. Again, these girls are so young and they were so naive to and th- and optimistic, thinking that this was going to be their chance. This was their hope. Even veterans like Lena Hall. And she's not the only one on that show who had Broadway credits. Uh, Emma Zacks had been on Broadway before mm-hmm. that. A couple of them had been in national tours. So it's like, it's they were all just very new to reality TV. And MTV really just played a dirty, dirty game. And it was, and it's upsetting sometimes to watch, but I'm happy that they are, past it now as much as they can be and are able to look back and sort of like reclaim their narrative yeah that's what was cool about doing the reunion was i was like oh this like really i mean it's sad that this happens but trauma like bonds people and it really Mm -hmm. bonded them like it was cool to yeah it was cool to see that they you know they they have a relationship like you would have if you had done a show with somebody before it's like you can pick things up again 10 years later and Mm -hmm. chat about the inside jokes that you had when you were backstage or what have you. And that's definitely very cool. So I stopped, I think it was about an hour and a half in when the, the moment the finale was brought up and I know that, you know, clearly, you know, things weren't going in chronological order because there was a whole hour afterwards, but Bailey talking about how part of 
what gave her nerves that day was that her ex-boyfriend showed up. Yeah. Uh, like he had broken up with her right before she left. Cause he's like, I don't think I can wait for you. And she's like, I could be gone to like, I could be gone after the first episode. You don't know that. And then she made it all the way and he showed up to the theater and she told Amanda, like, like blur him out, do whatever. I don't want to see him. And they did it. And that's all good. So knowing that that's where I stopped and you know, the, the, whatever happened after that, uh, I want to ask you some questions from the zoom reunion that you held with these icons. Yes. What are some of the biggest shockers for you? Things that like you learned uh, listening to them? The biggest shocker for me was that uh, Legally Blonde on Broadway is Autumn's to this day only Broadway credit. Crime. It's a crime. I was like, oh, wow, this business is so crazy. Like she Mm -hmm. has showcased how incredibly talented she is on this show for 10 episodes. And then she got to understudy Elle on Broadway never went on because Bailey never called out and get it. So yeah, work Bailey. And she, I was, but she had such a, they all had such like really intelligent, beautiful things to say. And Autumn's was basically like, I wish I could go back and tell my younger self, like, it doesn't matter. Like I have a wonderful life and I'm, I'm so happy and I've gotten to do some amazing jobs and national tours and regional theater and, uh, you know, just enjoy my life. Like it having, uh, you know, more than one Broadway credit does not have to mean as much as we put stake into it. Mm-hmm. The other thing that really shocked me was, um, I don't know if you, I don't know if this was part of what Bailey was talking about with the finale, but at one point she basically has survivor's guilt. Like it's really fascinating. She, she was like, saying to the rest of the girls, like the best thing that could have happened to you guys was not winning this show. She was like, I feel so detached from all of you because I won. It was, I felt this like wall between us because we were all working toward this goal together. And we were like, a, you know, this family for a little while. And then I won and I, I felt like it completely separated me from the rest of you. And it was so, such an interesting take. And because, yeah. you know, now she's in South Carolina and she has a hair studio and she's not doing this anymore, which is also fascinating. It's like, oh, you can like, quote unquote, get the dream and then decide it's not for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, I'm. do you know the story of Barbara Harris, of Tony winning Oscar nominated Barbara Harris? Uh, no. Do you, do you know who she, she Yeah, was? I know yeah. who Barbara Harris is. Okay. Yeah. I was about to say, like, I don't know what kind of game I'm about to talk to you right now. Because it's, for me, Barbara Harris is a litmus test. Like, I don't think you can call yourself a cultured gay unless you understand who she is. Anywho. I'm full uh, theater nerd, so I know. Perfect. I, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. Also, like, there's no way you can be friends with Melanie Brooke and not know, like, Apple Tree and all that good stuff. Um, Correct. Side note you cowards do a production of apple tree starring melanie brooke but that's beside the point you fucking cowards anywho um i hope she listens to this episode i really do uh barbara harris was one of the most talented actresses for a while um she came she originated in, in chicago i think she's one of the founding members of second city and came to new york did a couple of off-broadway plays took the theater scene by storm and then came to Broadway and did musicals. And everyone's like, fuck you sing. And, <laughs> and like, and not only sings like sings well, yeah. won a Tony for the apple tree, 
left Broadway to go to Hollywood because she had stage fright, which is insane. When you watch her perform, you're like, how can you have stage fright? You literally have more talent than anyone I've ever seen. Goes to Hollywood, does uh, the movies Nashville, Freaky Friday. She was Oscar nominated for a movie she did with Dustin Hoffman. I forget the name because it's so long. It's like 20 words. It's like funny thing happened on the way to the forum times five. But anyway, <laughs> uh, she also, I mean, she's, she did a lot and she had done TV and all that stuff. But she basically left the business uh, by the late 80s because she just, she did not enjoy it. She did not like performing anymore. She did not, she had stage fright. She didn't like the industry. Fun fact, there's, um, there was that 80s concert of Follies at Lincoln Center that had like Barbara Cook, George Hearn, Manny Patinkin. And Barbara Harris was supposed to be Sally and she uh, backed out and they, they were going to get Alan Alda to be Ben because he had done Apple Tree with her. And they were like, someone you know, a friend of yours, like, it'll be fine. There's no pressure. And she just like holed up and, and said like, absolutely not. And so she spent the rest of her life, I think in Arizona, uh, teaching. And it's crazy to think like someone could reach such major highs, like highs that so many people dream about and long for and to get there and then to say no afterwards it's insane and i say i say insane not like it's uh the wrong decision i mean insane in terms of like i don't know it's 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 something that you don't always expect but it happens and it takes you for a loop sometimes yeah it's always very shocking but it's one of those things it's it takes us for a loop because we are all so goal oriented Mm -hmm. and in some ways that's great but in many ways it's like mentally not great it's not great for your health to be so goal oriented all the time and to think about these milestones because the truth is that they that is not what's gonna you know make you happy like yeah it, it if she's happier in arizona teaching then that's great like we all have to find those things that are that fuel us and that make us feel joy and we are so taught to believe that success is about you know getting that Broadway show or whatever it is winning that Tony winning that Oscar I was just listening to Brene Brown's podcast and um the uh Duplass brothers were on there and one of them was like I keep thinking in my head like I have to win an Oscar I have to win an Oscar but the really sad deep dark truth of it is I know once I do I'm going to be so depressed Mm -hmm. like it because it's not about setting these goals for ourselves it's never going to make you happy it's never going to be enough mm. never enough <laughs> fun fact i've never seen the greatest showman oh you are probably fine <laughs> <laughs> i mean i truly just don't desire to um but that's that's for another episode you'll come back for a second sure. episode and we'll talk sure. about that we'll get into that no you're right um there's so i actually have this book it's actually a graphic novel because i'm slightly a dum-dum who doesn't totally get the economy and when trump won the election uh a friend of mine was like the best thing you can do for yourself is to better understand how the economy works or rather doesn't work so you know uh who to vote for in the future and sort of what certain policies mean so i bought this graphic novel called economics with an x at the end not a cs so you know it's for you and (laughs) and it's and it, it explains sort of the economic history of america and part of our goal-oriented mentality, which really wasn't a thing until the 20th century because uh, our government really sold, quote-unquote, the American dream 
in the 40s and 50s, this idea that, you know, you can have the family and the house and the suburbs and a good job. And if you work hard enough, you'll get the things. And that, and because America was recovering from World War II and, you know, all these men were coming back from war and babies were getting born and jobs were starting to sprout up everywhere, that seemed tangible. But then, it, but it wasn't long lasting. And so, We've the desire to be goal oriented has stayed, but the goals have become more muddled and not unattainable. Just the, the ways of getting them have proved to now have many roads, and those roads sometimes end, and you have to restart, or you have to blow up the dream and start a new one. So it's the mentality is still there for a lot of us, but it's it leaves more scars than than glory. Yeah, yeah, and that's interesting that you bring that up because it, going back to search for Al Woods, Emma Zachs actually has like a. How dare you bring this back to the topic, Tim? Let's circle back to Emma Zacks. (laughs) (laughs) She has like truly one of the most beautiful, beautifully put sentiments about that, but dealing with, you know, show business. Because like we said, she she had been in a few, I think three Broadway shows Mm -hmm. and now she teaches uh, spin class um, in New York City. And she was just talking about how much happier she is now mm-hmm. and how i mean it's not this is not again not new information this is similar to the barbara harris thing but she just put it in a way that really honestly made me want to cry it was i found it so effective she just was like you know i i was so af- like afraid it, it, like fear was driving me and and for me like, like anxiety and f- like this barbara harris thing we were saying of being enough and, and doing enough drives us and you have to take the time to stop and think like why am i doing this mm. like what wh- what is the point point? and i think for her she was like i had my parents were successful broadway actors like this is what i saw growing up this is what i thought i was supposed to do and she was like and now i get to perform several times a week doing something that i'm totally in control of and something i like better like mm-hmm. i i get to you know release endorphins and have fun and pick the music and I'm not standing where other people are telling me to stand doing what other people are telling me to do and she's like it's so freeing and so empowering and uh, yeah I highly encourage anyone to just go to that I think it's like the last 20 minutes of the mm-hmm. of the zoom but it was really it was just like beautifully said and so true yeah absolutely I mean I feel like we all, especially, and I cannot stress this enough, how much social media plays into this. I fa- I'm very famous on this podcast for bemoaning social media while still having an Instagram account. But that's <laughs> because I'm a very complex gay man, Tim Murray, mm-hmm. and I don't mm-hmm. expect you to understand all the facets of me. But Couldn't that's possibly. fine. Couldn't possibly. I'm just Couldn't so multifaceted. Uh, but... I feel like sometimes we believe there's an audience out there that's pondering our next move or, you know, our next step up or step down. And this idea of, I created this narrative for myself for this audience. And if I walk away, will I be considered a failure? Like, what will people think? And I mean, so many people just don't care because everyone thinks that they have an audience. So they're not really thinking about you. They're thinking about what you think of them. It's, it's so... Honestly, Odd. to to get very real, that I mean, Peter and I have had like a lot of really in depth conversations. Like I said, there's no drama there. He's like a mm-hmm. brother to me, but he said a similar thing to me when he was like, "I want to walk away from the podcast." Was, you know, you 
he said you are thinking of this as like a, a meal ticket for yourself, this slumber party podcast, like a way to get sponsors and pay your rent and mm -hmm. uh, be a calling card for you. And he was like, I don't want that. He was like, I just want to have fun and chit chat and have it just be about us geeking. And I don't care if nobody listens. And I was like, that's so crazy to me because I don't, I've never had that mindset, but I think he's right. It's the, and yeah, I, I think it is all, it, it can't be about the goal. It can't be about the, 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 the end result. It has to be about what you want it to be. Yeah. And that's what Emma Zach was saying. And that's, uh, yeah, I think that's. And to keep it in sort of legally blonde format for a second, uh, for some justice for Cassie S here for a minute. Yeah. Wa watching it, even like shady edits that they were trying to give her. And so Cassie S, if you haven't watched the show, she is a 19 year old uh, hopeful on the show. And they very much tried to make her the villain. They tried to kind of give yeah. her and Lena Hall the villain edits, uh, but they really did Cassie S dirty the most. And she's always wearing a bow. She's the, the image you can sort of think is like dainty June, but like more like laser focused. And something that I've noticed in theater within the last like 10 to 15 years is that it's, there's a sort of unspoken rule of it's cool to want it, but don't want it too much. Cause that's mm. off putting, especially with women, but in general, um, yeah. this idea of if you're too focused and you work too hard for it, like that's thirsty and nobody wants it. And, and I'm kind of, I, my, I have a foot in sort of both areas. Uh, so like when you were talking about you and Peter with your podcast, I understand both sides of the coin. Cause I'm sort of, I have mentality of both of like, I love to sit in Kiki and I like when I record with John, it's just so much fun. And that's partly why I still do the podcast, but I also do it. Cause like, I like having something to do. I like creating stuff. I like having stuff to put forward. I doesn't like, I don't have to be a hundred million followers on Instagram and Twitter. Like, honestly, that just seems super overwhelming, but I would like, I would like to know that there's at least one person out there that likes what I do. And I'm not just putting it out into the universe and there's nothing there. Uh, is, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of column A, column B. I'm not saying that it has to give me a mansion, but I, I want to get to a world where I don't have to work five jobs in order to do my passion. I'd like my passion to be able to, to, to support me in addition to fulfill me. Let me say that again without a pause because I, I really liked the way I worded that. I would like my passion to support me as well as fulfill me. Yeah, and that's that real. Is, and I don't think there's any shame in that. And I think no. that's where Cassie S was coming from. And she was just very young and very hungry and MTV could smell the blood in the water and they just went for it. Uh, yeah. So if you watch the show guys for the first time, just know that all Cassie, Cassie S's only crime is wanting it and working hard to try and get it. That's her only crime. Yeah. Uh, so if that's a crime, like lock all of us up. Am I right? Yeah, truly. Cause you're right. It can be both. Like you can, you can want that goal if it's, if it's what you want, if, if that is like what the Duplass brother said, like, I, I want that Oscar. And then I know I'm going to be depressed because for him, it's probably about something else. It's about proving to everybody that he could get that Oscar or what that Oscar would mean to get the next job. If you want it because you want it and it makes you feel good to uh, reach for it, to work toward it, then that's the right answer. Yeah. And I think what uh, the other thing Peter had said to me was like, no one thinking about you. Like, if you stopped doing this podcast, like, 
it's it's not going to be as big of a deal to anyone as it is to you mm. and that's the truth like no one you are completely in charge of your own uh, path and your own compass of like what you want to do mm. and nobody else like rupaul says uh nobody else's opinions about me matter like whatever he said he says it's, uh, it's, uh, if, the, if they're not paying your bills pay them bitches no mind pay them bitches no mind and there's another one that's like uh what people think of me is none of my business that's what yes. it is yeah mm. yeah i love that uh no i concur and it's such a weird gray area because performing in general there is a sense of narcissism about it because if you loved performing but didn't need an audience like you could you know in theory perform in your bathroom every night before bed you know come home from your day job and do that but there is a sense of narcissism with all of us who like to be in this business where it's like well i do need i don't necessarily know if the word need is appropriate but like there's something that you can't undescribable indescribable something indescribable that's the right word uh about having a reaction from someone from something you do applause laughter uh things like that and I don't know, like, I don't think there's, there's no shame in any of it. As long as if what you do makes you happy and it doesn't harm others, like it doesn't, I don't think there should be any kind of stigma to it, whether it is, I want to be on Broadway and I'm working very hard towards it, or, you know, oh, I'm just, I'm goofing off and I'm making stuff for myself. Like it's both are very valid. Um, and I feel like you and I, Tim, are somewhere in that middle area where it's like, I like to goof off, but I also like when I, the things I goof off about reach other people. You yeah. Know? I want to yeah. give that validation. I just speak again, bringing it all the way back to the beginning. I was watching um, Broadway bootleg at once on Broadway a couple days ago. And I just love, I mean, it hit me so hard that line that he says, and he's like, I don't want to play um, my music anymore. And she's like, why not? And he's like, cause no one wants to listen. And she's like, I'm, I'm a person and I want to listen. And I was like, yeah, damn it. Like it, you don't, it's not about the numbers of people. It's about, are you communicating something? Is this going to be special to someone? And by doing it, you're helping other people. You're benefiting other people. Absolutely. It's, you have no control over uh, how many people relate to what you do or find out about what you do. I, so like I, it took me forever to ask guests either on the pod or when I had my uh, YouTube series to like ask guests to help promote their episodes. I'm like, here's the thing. If you like, wouldn't mind just like posting on your story or whatever. It took me forever to do that. Cause I was like, Oh, that's really, that's really shallow. And that's really forceful. And no one wants that. No one wants that. And I was like, you know what? No shame in it. Like it's all it is, is just, it's five seconds of everyone's day to just sort of acknowledge that we did something together and to put it out there and people can listen to or not listen to it, but it's, it's, I don't know. It, it goes back to what we were saying about like um, wanting it, but not too much. And uh, putting, as you said, just now, like putting uh, value in numbers and mass. And it's, there's just something very, I don't know. My, po my point got lost, but needless to say, I agree with you. So I feel like we cannot discuss Legally Blonde the Musical, The Search for Elle Woods, without bringing up the toxic, nasty elephant in the room, which is Questionnaire Gate. 
Um, I mean, it's truly just one of those things where you're like, oh, you were really trying to push them to their limit. Yeah. And you can tell with the girls on the show when it happened, they were like, is this real life? <laughs> like, yeah, are people like, really trying to do this? Kidding? Yeah. It, it was truly one of those like, all right, we're going to have you stand over a pit of lava moments and we might push you. Like, it was just like, it was really, it was pretty much as dark as they could go without asking like, would you murder someone yeah. for this role? They like got as psychologically messed up as they possibly could. Yeah, uh, they, they weren't completely asking them to kill themselves, but they were like, if you had to kill yourself to get the role, would you do it? Um, it was pretty crazy. Tim, do you want to explain to our listeners who maybe aren't as familiar with Questionnaire Gate what Questionnaire Gate was on the show? Like what happened? So it happens somewhere in the middle of the season. Uh, and these girls have already really been through the ringer. They've already made them uh, get a line dropped on them by Nikki Snelson mm-hmm. in an audition. And they made them, what we learned in the reunion was cycle on those bikes. On the show, you see them do spin bikes and sing and it's like ridiculous. Yeah. But then Lena Hall revealed on the reunion that they were cycling for eight hours with like, rare breaks and they weren't feeding them mm-hmm. and that the producers are uh supposedly said you know implied that they hoped one of them would pass out yeah so, it's, so they've already been through this ringer and then and then also out. they also they also sorry they also did um the dancing in like 20 degree weather on a cobblestone street on and- cobblestones when one of them had bronchitis emma had bronchitis she was like truly sick yeah and they were out there in Brooklyn in the freezing cold. Yeah. So all of this has already happened. They've already been, you know, I'm sure doing extreme non-union shoots and like mm-hmm. making them, you know, they're pushing them to the point of exhaustion. And then at the end of a really long rehearsal day, they bring in these questionnaire sheets that they slip under the door that one of the girls starts to read out loud and pass out and they almost all immediately start sobbing because the questions are literally one of the questions I will never forget was who do you think is too heavy to play at Elle Woods oh, it's which is like you don't do that to women in this industry like don't do this to anybody but like to do that to young girls to 18 year old girls or 28 year old women in this industry that already is so psychotic. Like mm-hmm. I, my, one of my first roommates when I moved to New York is a really good friend of mine and I'll never forget. She was a fantastic actress, but I'll never forget her being like, I will, I don't want to do this anymore. Cause I had a meeting with an agent after my showcase and he was like, okay, so are you going to lose 20 or gain 40? Like that's the only way that, people in this business will see a woman on stage is like either yeah. you are a very large fat friend and until like Bonnie Milligan we rarely got those people as leads even mm-hmm. like getting to be their beautiful selves so it's just it was really messed up so that was one question and then another question was like something about Dude, they, every single question was truly ruthless. Yeah, like they, it was. It was like pitting because it was. It was them, the producers of MTV, trying to pit them against each other because they were being mo- pretty copacetic the entire time. Were being very supportive of each other. They weren't being very catty, and so the producers were like, "No, none of this. We need in-house drama." So like, there were questions like, "Who's the weakest singer? Who's the weakest yeah. dancer?" Just as you said, like you don't do this to 
you shouldn't do this to anyone ever. You should especially not do it to women, especially women of this age who are like going through the ringer to pursue their dreams. Like it's just, it's cruel. But there is a wonderful, positive Elle Woods-esque twist. There sure is, thanks to a person we truly do not deserve to have on reality TV. But God, we're lucky we got her. Autumn takes the, she's much older than the other girls at the time, which I think was like a really helpful, honestly great TV, very good narrative to have someone who had, has been through this ringer already, like, you know, having that, that side of it that we root for, that's like, God, she's really been doing this for a long time. She deserves to go to Broadway. But also just thank God she was there to help these girls through this like, truly i mean do you remember when you were 18 like it when you're in college and people are dangling parts over you in a college show you will do anything for it mm-hmm. imagine you're that age and it's broadway and you're on tv it's just so crazy so autumn changes the questionnaire around and she makes them positive questions and just completely is like all right we're, if we're going to do this we're going to do it our way mm-hmm. and it's really a very empowering thing to see someone on reality tv who is so clearly being used as a pawn and these producers narrative change the narrative for themselves and for everyone. Yeah. It's autumn definitely changes the narrative. It is so, it's so, it's such a baller move because they couldn't um, on the, I think on the reunion, they said like uh, they would not let us not answer the questions. Like we kept, we were trying to like, just not do it at all. And the producer was like, you can't leave until you do. And so they, twisted it around and like we'll answer them in our form which I thought was so fantastic yeah and how they bonded together to do that because I mean if even one of them had been like I'll answer the questions Mm -hmm. then they all would have been screwed then you know I mean they were in a competition to get their dream role like if one person had done that the producers could have easily been like well that's obviously the person that's going to move on yeah and instead they all banded together and they're like no our moral fabric is more important than this show yes then you're then you're manufactured drama and it seems like such a small thing right when you think about like i don't know the the major fights that happen on real housewives or like the high stakes that happen on drag race or like making people like eat you know centipedes and stuff on fear Mm -hmm. factor but honestly as much reality tv as we've all watched i think this is the most the craziest and most psychologically damaging thing I've ever seen on reality TV. Yeah. I mean, I think they were trying to make it sort of like um, when RuPaul asks on Drag Race, who should go home tonight and why? But even on that, like most queens will answer like, based off of tonight's critiques, I would say so-and-so. Like no one comes for anybody like personally, like 95% of the time on Drag Race. No. And and, and no one would ever ask who is too, whose body isn't right enough to do this is like, such a messed up thing to put in there. Going back to the Zoom reunion for a minute, uh, were there any other surprises from your interactions with these 10 goddesses? (laughs) True goddesses. Um, Autumn, Bailey, and Emma, and the Cassie thing was really crazy. Mm -hmm. Just hearing, like, yeah, the way she was... um, and, the, and what Lauren said about uh, social media was really impactful. I'm trying to think. Um... Anything about like the aftermath? Because something that was interesting for me with the show is that when it aired, there was like 
there was some traction behind Bailey being cast. And I remember they sort of like finished out the summer doing pretty well, but then it really kind of dropped hard after that. And they closed like six weeks after the summer was over. And so I don't know when like the aftermath was for all of them in terms of uh, whether, you know, whether they got a, a shot forward after it or sort of like kind of stopped there or if it was a step back for some of them. Oh yeah. That's a, an interesting question. We talked about, about that a little bit i mean lena hall straight up said on the podcast or on the reunion i'm sorry that she changed her name because of the show mm. she was like i wanted i didn't want people to associate me with what happened on the show um so that i mean i think that affected her pretty deeply uh they pulled autumn backstage jerry mitchell and i think telsey and a couple other people uh right after they announced Bailey winning and they're like, Hey, we just want you to know you did an amazing job and we want to offer you uh, a role in Legally Blonde on Broadway as well as the understudy. And Autumn said, um, she was like, this might sound ungrateful, but this is what I was feeling. I said, can I play Elle on tour instead? And they were like, no. And she was like, but for me, it was like, yeah, it was, it's very exciting to make my Broadway debut, but when I thought in my heart about what I wanted, I wanted to play L. Yeah. And I totally get that. I was like, yeah, I mean, you worked so hard toward this thing. Um, I think and, L by that point was cast on the tour though, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So um, it wasn't yeah. like a, you're not good enough. It's like the role, like that's already been filled. Yeah. It's like, there's, there's nothing we can do, but then, um, and it was Becky Goldsvig, who is, who is so talented. Amazing. Uh, and then Rhiannon got to play, um, Margo on tour. And I saw her do that on tour. Really? Yeah. I, I saw love that. my, I think it was my freshman or sophomore year of college. Uh, they came to the Boston opera house and, uh, Courtney Wilson was, uh, Serena and she was so good and I saw Rhiannon as Margot and I was so blown away because I remember on the show Rhiannon who made it to the final three or final four I guess because she and Lauren Zachran got eliminated at the same time uh she was sort of the idea was like she had the personality and the bubbliness and the energy but she didn't really have the voice that was sort of like her quote-unquote character arc and so when I saw the tour I remember being so blown away by how good her vocals were. And then I had to remind myself, I'm like, oh, I only saw the vocals that they wanted me to see on the reality show. Like, I'm sure there's a take or two where she absolutely slayed it, but that didn't fit with her arc. And so they didn't use it. Yeah. And funnily enough, when you watch the first episode, she's one of the only girls that they show singing almost all of so much better. And she Mm -hmm. sounds so good. So good. She like falters in the last note a little bit, but like it's, so that's I feel like that was the producers being like okay we'll show this like last note and then this will be the edit she'll get but um she's a great singer and so she got to do that and then Lauren um who's also in the top four got to understudy L on tour and then Becky Goldsvig broke her foot and so Lauren ended up playing the role for like six weeks on tour get it Lauren or more and she is I mean that girl is a star what what has the fan response been to the zoom reunion it's been awesome it's at it's at like twenty seven thousand views right now i think and people are loving it they i think they just are happy to and people have been really kind in the comments like Mm -hmm. because i think that was another big thing the girls went on a, a long uh talk about was like 
we can't handle any more, <laughs> like any more like negative comments. Like you, you all need to realize when you're, when you write stuff online, it affects people. And so I think that was like a beautiful thing that they did because now all the comments are really positive for the most part. Good. That's wonderful. That's lovely to hear. And they all seem to be doing well these days, you think? Yeah. I like, yeah, it was, it was very cool to see how they've all like grown into these like very mature people. Um, a lot of them are moms now and they had their kids come join the calls. Uh, Bailey's daughter is named Elle. That made my ovaries swell. I mean, truly. truly. Yes. Um, what, what do you think you're going to do now with your Legally Blonde Elwood's journey? Like wh- what's next for Tim now with all this, this information and, and these realizations? Um, the most recent thing I did was edit myself. I've been editing myself into the drag race season as girls that were cut for time. Yes, so I did see some of that. I, I edited myself into the first episode of Search for Elwoods as um, in the reunion, Rachel Potter said there was a deep, dark internet rumor that there was another house and they didn't uh, tape any of the girls in that house and they never made it to air. So mm-hmm. I made a, uh, I edited myself into the first episode as those girls who, were, who didn't make it <laughs> into the house. And now I'm done. I uh, was obsessed with it. It was super fun. It was awesome. But I don't need to do anything more with it. I want to mm-hmm. keep following the fun and, like I said, like not be goal-oriented and not try to brand myself too much. I just want to do the next fun thing that comes to my mind in this quarantine. So... Search for Elwoods has been put to bed for a while, only to be brought back out again when you want to watch it and feel that feel that Elwoods fantasy, jantasy, if you will. The jantasy, exactly. The jantasy. Um, so I feel like this is a good time as any to wrap things up. Anything you do want to plug that's maybe coming up for you in the future that you have going on now? Yeah, I uh, am doing this Slumber Party podcast and I do it uh, every Every week, also on Zoom, we go live on YouTube. So if you want to ask us questions, I interviewed Britta Filter recently and Trixie Mattel. And um, hopefully we'll get some more fun Drag Race girls and maybe even uh, Search for All Woods girl or some other Broadway people. Yes. So that's been super fun. Um, check out my Patreon. I make comedy videos every single week. Mm-hmm. If you want to uh, donate to that, I would love that. And yeah. And where can people find the Zoom reunion on, on YouTube? You can find all of my stuff at tmurray06. Um, that's my YouTube channel. That's my Twitter. That's my Instagram. And that's everything. It's T-I Murray, right? Not No, it's no. just T, oh, the letter, letter T, T, and then Murray, M-U-R-R-A-Y 06. Fantastic. So people can find all those things there. Uh, you can find me, y'all, on Instagram at Matt Koplik, K-O-P-L-I-K. I only take positive reinforcements on all of my posts if you have anything negative to say send it to uh, me via dm so i can send you a video of me crying to your response and you can see the damage you've done love it you can say anything you want to me on any of my platforms and i will drag your ass for absolute filth if you try to come for me and you will regret it tim i didn't (laughs) i didn't expect to end this episode so aroused but thank you that was that was the most topish energy you've given me in the last hour thank you uh daddy um (laughs) tim uh we finish every episode with a nice diva usually broadway but we've been uh experimenting with some movie musical ladies who would you like to close this out today 
is it this is very basic of me but like my one my true my always is Sutton Foster we have had her uh, you had Sutton you want yes. someone someone you haven't had okay I, I got it okay I, I got, got it. it Colleen Sexton ah Lucy from the Jekyll and Hyde TV and she was uh what's her face in the Legally Blonde tour she played Brooke Wyndham I saw her as well okay I didn't know that yes That's oh my god way to bring it back around Yes, wow. Colleen Sexton. I will, you know what? I will make that happen. I am so pleased with that. She's incredible. She's, oh, she's so great. So guys, thank you so much for listening. Once again, uh, this is where I whore out the pod. Please rate us. Give us five stars if you'd like. Uh, give us a nice little gay review or just, you know, a four-word review. I don't fucking care. The algorithm doesn't discriminate. And until next time, uh, you know, just keep enjoying quarantine. This is Broadway Breakdown. Take us away, Colleen. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.